2: It might be hard for younger listeners who've only known her as the lost girl to realize this, but for people of a certain age, well, my age, Julie Capsom was someone you knew all too well, someone you maybe even grew up with. She made her first appearance as a character named, sure enough, Julie, on her mother's sitcom. She was just eight, and acting was something fun to try out.
3: What do we say to strangers, Julie?
4: Thanks for the candy. (laughs)
2: She made her major film debut at the age of 14 in the beloved classic, Jane Austen Fight Club. Even then, she was a red carpet favorite.
0: Julie, what do you think of all this craziness? Did your mom prepare you for it? Kinda, this is, this is really, really crazy. I think I'm gonna get a headache from all the cameras flashing. <laughs> you better get used to it. You're great in this movie. Thank you,
4: it's such a personal project for me. I think girls my age need to stand up and speak out. And that's what Jane Austen Fight Club is all about.
2: Journalists loved her. She made talking points sound fresh and fun. She was sort of Jennifer Lawrence before we had a Jennifer Lawrence. Until the inevitable flameout. Julie's father, Robert Capsom, sponsored one of those parental watchdog organizations with the money from his Epsom Salt Billions. Her mother, Kathleen Weir Capsom, was a spokeswoman for it in-between Emmy nominations for her We're Such a Happy Family sitcom. But Julie, the older she got, she just seemed to realize how much of it was based on pretty lies. And she thought that was really, really funny.
4: I don't think the crap they're pushing is normal at all. It's not about decency. It's about conformity and control. Like, what if everybody could be exactly the same? You know? Yeah! You know I'm right!
1: So we should all be partying every night, like...
4: Come on, Kyle. You know that's an exaggeration. But, so what if I was? What if all I did was drink and smoke weed and have sex? We should do what makes us happy. We have too much
2: thumbs up for press... She partied. She drank. Drugs. Sex. Every rumor you could think of attached itself to her, while her parents expressed deep concern in the press. She was famous for being famous. And she knew it and winked at it. Jane Austen Fight Club kind of blew up, and pretty soon it seemed like she was our next big star. And then came December 25th, 2007. It was just me that night at 7.30 The Wave, Eureka. I'd only been interning there a few weeks, unpaid, but it was the first opportunity I'd gotten to run the station all by myself. I just wanted to see if I could do it. I figured... It'll be a quiet night. I'll play some Bing Crosby, get in some practice with the equipment. What could happen on Christmas night? Well, the most famous teen in America can vanish. I won't deny, it was thrilling. Taking statements from the police, rousing my station manager, and being the first in the nation to break a story that would dominate the news for weeks. Julie Capsom's car had been found abandoned on the side of the road after it had crashed into a tree in rural Humboldt County, California. There was no sign of her. And then we started getting details of what precisely the police had found on the scene and what one eyewitness, who saw a frantic Julie pacing beside her crashed car, had told them. That's when things got weird. And we haven't even gotten to the torso yet. I can promise you, we'll definitely get to the torso. On December 25th, 2007, somewhere around 11 p.m., Julie Capsum ran her car off the road and into a tree in the middle of Northern California's most desolate stretch of major highway, halfway between Eureka and Crescent City, California. One witness saw her pacing outside her car, but by the time the police arrived, she had vanished. While dogs picked up her scent headed into the trees, it disappeared in the middle of a forest clearing. What happened to Julie that Christmas night? How could someone that well-known vanish in the United States in the 2000s? And why has this case haunted us ever since? Each week, We'll explore a different part of the story and see if we can't untangle this web and find the answers. Join us, won't you, as we unravel the mystery on Arden.
5: Yeah, that's not what I would have started with. I don't think
2: anyone wants to hear how you would have started. Oh, don't get
5: me wrong. It was very professional.
2: Because I am the
5: professional here.
2: Listeners? Ignore that voice.
0: Let's get on with the show. The first thing to know about Julie was that she was fearless, you know, and impulsive. <laughs> she didn't have that little voice most of us do, the one that tells you not to do things. But even for her, the way she was acting that morning, it was pretty odd. This is Natalie Thomas. Would you say you're Julie's best friend? I was Julie's best friend. Was. I don't think she's alive anymore. Thanks to Ralph. We'll get to Ralph. For
2: now, can you tell me when the last time you saw Julie was?
0: That morning. At the
2: party. So Julie is at a Christmas party that morning. Most of her family is there. They've opened gifts. Natalie drops by to give Julie her own package. And right as Natalie
0: arrives... She gets this phone call. She goes outside to talk on the phone... And then she comes back in a few minutes later, all frantic. And she says she needs to get a smoke. This has caused some concern. Julie, so far as anybody knows, didn't smoke. And she pushes right past me, goes outside, closes the door.
5: So she goes outside for a phone call, comes back in, announces she's going to get a smoke when she doesn't smoke, and then goes back out to drive off? What's your point? Doesn't that seem... (laughs) I don't know, fakey to you? That's... Hmm. Well... Well,
2: she was an actress. Everything she did was dramatic. But every witness yes. is Yes, like... let's hear from the witnesses. Great idea.
0: Why didn't you go with her? It was obvious she didn't want anybody around. Here's what's important about
2: that moment. Natalie is the last person to see Julie until a man named Gerald Abernathy sees her 11 hours later, crashed on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. And here's another thing. Natalie sees Julie in Beverly Hills, where she lives. Gerald sees her an hour north of Eureka. You can maybe make that drive in 11 hours,
0: but most people think it's closer to 12. That weirdo. Weirdo or not,
2: Gerald did see her.
0: And the way he describes her acting... Okay, Julie could get pretty intense, but not violent. I mean, swinging a tire iron at a guy who stopped to see if he could help. So you'd say it seemed like... No, that wasn't the Julie I knew. Flat out, it wasn't. How long had you known her? Gosh, since elementary school. We did everything together. No secrets between us.
2: She did have a reputation for being a wild child, so to speak.
0: But not like that. Natalie... I know, some people try to suggest, oh, the crazy, out-of-control debutante got what was coming to her. <sighs> that wasn't the real Julie, you know? It was just an act to irritate her parents. The Julie I knew? She was... kind of boring. So what do you think had her so agitated? What's obvious, isn't it? It was Ralph. That would be Ralph Montgomery. Julie's... I don't think boyfriend's the right term. It was this weird connection. She was saying he's the one, and then, I don't know, it was like, you just could not mention him. Especially not when her parents, or God forbid, her cousin were there.
2: Ralph was a scholarship kid. By all accounts, he came from a happy family. His parents are wonderful people, just the best, according to all who knew them. In high school, he was a good student bust into Julie's stomping grounds of Beverly Hills from Van Nuys, a much less affluent L.A. community. But he was a science whiz and a solid football player. The school was only too happy to cover his tuition. He received a full-ride scholarship to UCLA with an eye towards Stanford for a master's and a doctorate. He was the first kid in his family to go to college. And then... So
0: he meets Julie at a Halloween party. that was that maybe he was a promising kid at one time but he killed her it's obvious that's what happened
5: i don't care what the police say natalie how could ralph kill julie if when she vanished he was already a dismembered torso in the trunk of her car
2: so that would be brenda bentley she was one of the first cops on the scene in 2007 a first-year officer who'd drawn the short straw and had to work the holiday shift Her mishandling of key evidence led to her eventual departure from the police force. She now works as a private investigator and is one of the leaders of a prominent online community dedicated to solving Julie's disappearance.
5: Why did you say that? Say what? Mishandling of key evidence? It's untrue, and it's just, it's very rude, and frankly, damages your credibility. Mine? I was being honest with the listeners. Yeah, you're so hard up Ugh. that you would have the gal who mishandles evidence on your show. In the interest of truth,
2: the listeners should also know that Brenda believes that aliens kidnap Julie. That's my favorite theory. I don't believe it. You sure did for a while. But not anymore. Aliens! You... <laughs> Can't win an argument by just shouting, aliens! I can if we're having an argument based in reality. Reality's boring. So are aliens. But that didn't stop you from going all in on this
5: theory over the years. I only brought up aliens once. Once. And you're going to use it once. against me for- Once.
2: Let's look at your threads on the Julie Capsum subreddit, shall we? Featuring such classics as Greys versus Greens, which species is more likely to have taken Julie? Grays. Consensus was Grays. Stargates in NorCal. Did Julie fall into one? Saw an alien at the farmer's market. Same that took Julie. Alien clues in Julie Capsom film Skyless. And my personal
5: favorite. Is Santa Claus an alien? Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. Traveling all around the world in one night clearly indicates advanced technology. Otherwise, it makes no sense. The world makes no sense, Ms. Bentley.
2: Or if it did, it wouldn't have saddled me with you. But what really makes no sense? Aliens. What a great way to lead in and tell them the good news. I am pleased to announce that Ms. Bentley will be joining Arden as my co host by popular demand of our corporate overlords. I popped! More like your billionaire meal ticket of a boss heard the
5: recordings, panicked that you damaged the sterling brand of Arden Detective Agency. Don't say anything bad about Andy Wayface or Wayface Industries. They're the good people. Listeners, it's important for you to know that none of this was my idea. My station manager, Pamela
2: Pink, and I were going to do a thoughtful, serious program on the legacy of this case. And
5: then... Andy bought the station. Andy Wayface. Eccentric billionaire.
2: It's on his business cards. Seriously. Andy Wayface bought my perfect independent station, a vital local voice in the Los Angeles community, a station awarded with... I'm also honored to announce that we are now a wholly owned subsidiary of Wayface Industries. (sighs) Say it. I'm not going to.
5: Say who we are, Casely. You and me. Co-workers. We're the good... The good people. You're new. You don't know it yet. But anyway, tell them the best part.
2: No. Come on! As a responsible journalist, I refuse to make misleading promises. Since you are not a responsible journalist, however, by all means, Ms. Bentley, go ahead. Be my guest. We're going to figure out what happened to Julie. Despite the fact that you have spectacularly failed at doing that for 10 years.
5: Everything I do is spectacular and your pitch was boring. Boring? A thoughtful, serious program on the legacy of the case. Pfft. It's an important, multifaceted... That's not what people want to hear. They want excitement action, suspense. They want results. You and I, Casey, we're going to give it to them. We're going to solve this case, and it's only going to take us 12 episodes. It's not
2: only going to take us 12 episodes. We've only budgeted for 12 episodes. It's a ticking clock! Now that we've handled that business, some of you listeners may not be as familiar with the facts. For a refresher on that, let's transition over to the initial interview with Ms. Bentley, where we discuss her actual discovery of the crime scene.
5: The interview that... Yes, the interview that got you the job. Oh, good. Listeners, you finally get to hear about the torso. Can I go over some of the
2: details with you? Of course. So, Gerald Abernathy, he sees Julie outside her car, offers help. She swings a tire iron at him. Gerald, needless to say, leaves well enough alone, though he promises to call the cops once he gets somewhere with a working phone. That takes him a half hour. Then, it takes the police an hour to get to the crash site. By then, Julie's gone. Lots of people don't buy what Gerald said. But we know that he saw her because he independently described what she was wearing, something that was corroborated by friends and family who saw her earlier that day. But I see why
5: people are skeptical. Doesn't Gerald think Julie was abducted by the mighty skunk ape? Bigfoot? He insists they're different. What? It's a theory. Is that the kind of thing you tell your clients as a private investigator? Private eye. I've always preferred that. Or private dick. I'm going to stick with investigator. Suit yourself. Gerald's theory makes about as much sense as anything anybody else came up with. Julie Capsom might as well have been hauled into some hole in the woods by Bigfoot's second cousin for as much as we've been able to find on her. So, Julie Capsom, heiress, beloved daughter, best friend, leaves a Christmas party. She gets in a
2: car. She drives like a bat out of hell for 11 hours. She crashes her car into a tree. She meets Gerald Abernathy, and then...
5: Your guess is as good as mine. You brought in dogs. We're not incompetence. Unlike what certain big city press would later say. What did they find? The woods are thick around here, so it's hard to move through them. Especially when the weather is so bad. But we caught up quickly enough to have a good scent. And the dogs knew what they were doing. They brought you to the clearing, right? And now, it's coming up on Dawn, and we're freezing our asses off, and we're hoping to just find her. Not a body, hopefully, but the dogs are getting all excited and just poof. Nothing. It's like she gets to the middle of this clearing and turns into a ghost.
2: The dogs lose the scent. Police go around to various vacation homes in the area the next morning, but nobody's staying in them. No one other than Gerald comes forward having seen a girl pacing near her crashed car. Meanwhile, we open the trunk. What's in the trunk continues to puzzle just
5: about everybody who looks into this case. First thing you notice is blood everywhere. And when we send that blood in to be tested, it's Julie Capsum's blood, but it's only in the trunk, nowhere else in the car. And if she lost that much blood, then how did she wander off into the woods? Next thing is some clothes and a couple of really expensive wigs. Prevailing theory on those is that Julie was really involved in her college drama department. Then, a gigantic can of gasoline, about half full. We later saw footage of her filling it when she stopped in Garberville. But you know how I said blood was the first thing you notice? I lied. For dramatic effect, I assume? You got it, Casely. Gotta build up the drama. <sighs> so, what else was in the trunk? Right the first thing you notice because it's absolutely what the fuck is the human torso and to emphasize for the listeners there's a
2: full human torso in the trunk no arms no head no legs no other stuff is that why you were never able to definitively
5: identify the torso as ralph montgomery the dna testing was inconclusive somehow but he had a distinctive tattoo on his left shoulder and his mother identified it a mother knows these things, don't you think? I suppose so. You don't have kids of your own? Hardly appropriate. No ring? That's not relevant to... Let's get back to the skunk ape. You're stopping it there. That
2: was the interview. But I- And now, a word from our sponsor. I love socks. In fact, I don't know where I'd be without them. But there are some mornings when I just don't want to wear the same pair of socks as I did the day before. And on those mornings, Sockity Doodah is my number one source for unbelievably warm, undeniably cozy, unspeakably bespoke socks. For a very reasonable fee, Sockity Doodah will send you a box of 30 socks every month, all crafted specifically to your sock profile. What's your sock profile? Step in Sockety doodahs patented sculpting gel and take one of their fleet of insightful and amusing personality tests and you'll be matched up with socks that are just for you in no time at all. Why, my friends and I have sock parties each month when we bring our boxes over to each other's houses and try on socks. (sighs) People are supposed to believe that I do this. Who
1: doesn't love a sock party?
2: Sockety doodah. Never be sockless again.
1: Sockety doodah, a product of Wayface Industries, the good people.
5: Hi, this is Brenda Bentley, and I think I'm doing this right. The red light means it's recording, I think. I mean, Right now, the audience is going, Who is this lady? Sure, the other girl was all professional, coming in like she's the next Terry Gross. But this lady, who knows what's going to happen? Is she going to screw up on air? Or is she, dare I say it, the next Walter Cronkite? Yes, he was on TV. I know that. Duh. Anyways, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Ralph Montgomery. Ralph is often painted as the villain on this story. Just listen to this clip from Natalie's interview. You don't think the torso belonged to Ralph? Of course I don't.
0: I am 100% sure that she was leaving town because Ralph was coming to kill her.
5: Natalie's evidence for this is what the police call the Christmas Eve email. Natalie didn't even realize she'd gotten it until after January 1st. She left from the Capstone Christmas party to go on a ski trip with her family. Bia and Natalie read that email.
0: Nats, oh God, I screwed up and Ralph knows. He was yelling at me on the phone, saying that I had better not ever try to talk to him again. It was all a misunderstanding. You know how much I care about him, but I don't think he'll ever want to see me again.
5: Help. Do you know what they fought about? (laughs) No clue. And then Natalie has a few theories about whose torso it could have been. A missing kid from Van Nuys, a random homeless person in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it doesn't add up, you know? It just... I have a few reasons for this, and it doesn't. Unlike Julie, the beloved and storied paparazzi favorite on every red carpet at every Matt Gellis since she was five, there's not a lot of extant video or audio of Ralph.
1: I keep thinking I'll find a recording, but I mean, it was 2007. We weren't recording everything we did yet. If I find one, I'll let you know. Be cool to hear my man's voice again.
5: That's Vince Volio. Vince is one of Ralph's oldest friends. And one of the only ones who knew him who's still willing to talk to the press.
1: Ralph was all but convicted within two days of the story breaking. The Capsums had their press people out like a f***ing army. And everyone just went along with blaming him.
5: But it doesn't add up. For one thing, Ralph goes missing two days before Julie does.
1: The last time I saw him, we were at the diner for a late night snack. And, you know, things just seemed normal. Normal? Yeah, I mean, it was me, him, and Mark, and we were just sitting there eating chicken fingers and mozzarella sticks, and God, I don't even remember what we talked about. Probably the Lakers or what we thought was going to happen on Heroes. You know, shit like that, and, and within a year, both of them were gone.
5: That's Mark Bolt, right?
1: Yes, victim of the curse, Mark Bolt.
5: We'll get to Mark later. Not on this episode, unless you don't let episodes run for like two hours, right? I'm getting a no on that. So Ralph leaves his friends that night, but he doesn't go back home. He goes to a nearby ATM, takes out all the money he has, and then nothing. It's just like he evaporated until we find the torso. But Ralph has another problem that turns up as soon as the police start seriously looking at him.
1: Ralph dealt a little weed, yeah. You know, it, it was a good way to make money. All these rich white kids he was hanging with now needed a connect.
5: As soon as that got out there, well, you can practically smell the missing Capsom boyfriend no angel headlines, can't you? Combine that with the superb PR effort on the part of the Capsoms, and there you have it. So no matter what his true fate was, for the next 10 years, Ralph Montgomery is drawn and quartered for the crime of viciously kidnapping and murdering Julie Capsom. In addition to, um, you know, possibly being actually drawn and quartered. They don't know how he did it, but he did it. The narrative practically writes itself. And yet the thing that's fascinating about Julie's disappearance is that no theory explains everything. Ralph is considered a person of interest, except he's also officially listed as deceased. Because if the body in the trunk isn't Ralph, then who is it? Every question you ask opens up even more questions. And once you examine those questions, you start circling back to other theories entirely. But what we do know is that a boy loved a girl, something went wrong, and she fled. And when she disappeared, she left far more questions than answers. But look, no matter what Casely says about me, no matter how much she thinks I suck at police stuff, one thing is true, nobody came closer to solving this case than I did. And that's why I was kicked off the force. Let's go back to that original interview. That's not how I remember it at all. Nobody ever wanted to listen to me, not even you. And that's the real tragedy of Julie Capsom. Everybody got so wrapped up in the salaciousness of this case, they couldn't see what was staring them right in the face. You talk like
2: you know some piece of
5: evidence that's going to
2: blow this wide open.
5: Maybe I do. Well? Why would I tell you? As I recall, you called me a dim-witted public functionary the last go-round. That wasn't what I called you. yes but it was a much more polite version of it. Dimwitted public functionary? Did I talk
2: like some prim 1910 society heiress? Did your monocle fall off when I called you? Oh, dear heavens, a dimwitted public functionary. Did you get, ah, gasp, a touch of the vapors?
5: Words hurt, Casely, words hurt. Just tell me what you know. Let me help you. Help with what? Investigate. This isn't an investigation. It's journalism. Something you wouldn't know the slightest thing about. Just let me tag along. I'll be my winning self, and you can be the smart one, and we'll have some laughs.
2: Why would I possibly want to do that? Do you remember what happened the last time we
5: talked? Was that the time I threatened to sue you for libel? The time after that. Oh, the date with your friend. If you think I'm going to work with a
2: vile, contemptuous son of a b- who believes
5: in aliens.
2: Now, the aliens thing has been greatly overstated. And dates my best friend, who's basically my sister, just to get my dander up. Patty
5: and I had a real connection. Well, you've got another thing coming. You know, I think it's you've got another thing coming. Just tell me what your evidence is.
2: And it's think. That makes sense. Thing doesn't make any sense in context.
5: You've got another think coming? Who talks like that? A 1910 society
2: heiress. It's verbal dexterity. It's something you wouldn't understand if it...
5: (sighs) Nice to see you still get worked up over the stupidest shit. And it's thing. Most people say thing. Just admit you lost think i'll tell you what i know if you admit its thing ooh i can see the little wheels turning can i cut this out of my show can i make myself look like the hero and i don't blame you but you'd still know you were wrong and that is one thing bea casey cannot do it's think i'm sorry But it's think. It's all good, Casely. So now you can see what I mean, right? Deep down, Bea Casely thinks she can solve this. But only because she's building off the hard work I put into this case ten years ago and have continued to put into it in the years since. I'm not going to let some snotty reporter fly into my city and solve my case. No way, no how. I know what you're thinking. You're already saying, oh, well, we already know Bea. We like Bia. We trust Bia. She's got a smooth radio voice. Well, I'll tell you this. Bea Casely is bad news. When she found out about Hattie and I, she... Oh, boy. Uh, she's outside right now. She looks mad. And she's talking to the station manager, Pamela. I don't know what she's saying, honestly. For all I know, she could be saying anything. What if she's just saying my name over and over again? God, that would be terrifying. Brenda Bentley. Brenda Bentley. Brenda Bentley. Brenda Bentley. Ugh, my parents are bad people. Why is my name so scary? Oh, God.
2: What the f*** are you doing?
5: Unlike you, I'm not repeating my name over and over again. What? I don't know. I'm just trying to get the truth on record. So the audience will trust you over me?
2: I heard what you were saying about the case in there.
5: I thought this was soundproof. You were
2: broadcasting on the station speakers.
5: Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. I think you had an extra O in your O there. How dare you? Are we still broadcasting? I want them to hear this.
2: You get me? I want everybody to hear this. I want Andy Wayface to hear this in his golden tower. It's
5: platinum, not I gold. don't care
2: if it's... Unobtainium. You think you can waltz in here on the back of some billionaire's whims, totally unqualified for the job, and take over my show to
5: broadcast your lunacy? You think aliens did it? Quit reducing me to one stupid thing I told you over drinks ten years ago. Aliens did not take them. I don't know what happened, but Julie's alive. What? You heard me, Julie's alive. Do you know this? Or... I believe it. I have to believe it. That's a great way of assuaging your guilt. It's always been this way. Ever since we met ten years ago, always snipe, snipe, sniping at me. You never know when to leave anything alone. Which is why I'm a good
2: journalist. Someone who could have found Julie if you hadn't. Why do you care? Other than the fact that I don't think anybody should completely vanish from the face of the earth. Do you know who the last person to interview Julie Capsim was? Jay Leno. Me. No way. Really? The last thing I ever wrote for my college newspaper before I graduated. The last interview she gave before going radio silent for her fall semester. I still have that tape. Are you going to play it? You know me too well. Do you think you're defined by what people want to see? Like Hollywood, right? That's all about trying to turn you into a product?
4: I don't know. I keep thinking I'm going to find a place there. Like, I'll find my people, right? My mom did. I don't know why I can't. They've got to be around.
2: There's this theory I read about in Us Weekly that you try on personas That's all the
4: time we have, Miss Casely. Just one more.
2: Why didn't you tell me any of that? Because you'd start pulling apart that interview looking for clues. I didn't know Julie. But I got it. We were just dumb kids trying to make sense of the world around us. But I'm still here. And she's not.
5: And that's not some conspiracy theory for you to play with. You think it doesn't break my heart that I couldn't find those kids? You think I don't see the bloody trunk when I close my eyes at night? Yes, I failed. But I think you and I, if we work together, we'll find them. We can find her, Bia. We can find both of them. You want to know what happened to Julie Capsum? So do I. I've got all the information. You're the one who won't get distracted by thoughts of transdimensional beings.
2: <laughs> Great. Make the responsible one the killjoy.
5: Let the record state you called yourself a killjoy long before I did. You think we're going to be able to be
2: in the same room for 20 minutes without wanting to add another death to the Capsum case curse?
5: Well, if the feeling's mutual, call it a mutual feeling. I'm not
2: going to be able
5: to... 2534 Fortuna Drive. What? I said, 2534 Fortuna Drive. And... You know what that is. I know you know what that is. It was the cabin nearby they found unlocked. Buried way back in the woods, hard to find unless you knew where to look. Right, which is why the owner so often left it unlocked. Listen to yourself, Bia. Do you really believe that? He would leave it empty for month after month. Why would he leave it unlocked? You know what that part of the northern coast has more than anywhere else in California? Incompetent policemen? Tweakers. Tweakers? Real serious problem up there. Tweakers. Spent most of my time as a cop rousting them. And if there's one thing I know about tweakers is that they'll try every door until they find one open. Even if it's back in the middle of the woods, just to have somewhere warm to light up. So you're saying it wasn't left unlocked? Nope. Julie was there? Nope. Then what are you... But somebody was. How do you know... Because at 11.17 on Christmas night, somebody picked up that landline in the cabin and made a phone call to a burner cell phone, it looks like. That cabin overlooked... The road, yep. And whoever was waiting for Julie... Was right there, watching her, waiting for her to drive by. What if she didn't crash accidentally? What if she was pushed? Now you're catching on. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but... Yeah? Maybe there's a story
2: here. So you're in? That's the deal? Mm Mm-hmm. You realize they're gonna use all this audio we just recorded, right? Seriously? Our editors are wonderful people, just the best. I think that's a good place to stop. So we really
5: have to name the show Arden? After my detective agency? Yeah. Is it called Arden?
2: Would I know you better? God, you're obnoxious.
5: Obnoxious.
2: I prefer mysterious. It can be two things. On the next episode of Arden,
5: we investigate the new evidence of a mysterious phone call. Could have hyped it more. The new evidence of a mysterious phone call. You don't need to do that. Dun-dun-dun. We have sound editors that can add that back in. Please teach me how to do that. Absolutely not. Come on! You be quiet now.
1: This episode of Arden has been brought to you by Wayface Industries. Are you a good person? Then you should work for Wayface Industries. Because we're the good people. Wayface Industries. The good people.
3: Garden is created by Emily Vanderwerf, Christopher Dole, and Sarah Golub. This week's episode was written by those same three people. Our audio engineer is Elizabeth Aubert. Our editor this week was Elizabeth Aubert and Christopher Dole. Our cast is...
2: Michelle Gresti, Tracy Syed
0: Shannon Estabrook Charlita Gaston
3: Benjamin Watts
0: Lindsay Zanna
1: Robert Fleet
0: Lindsay Syme
3: Grant Patrizio John Rael.
5: Mia Drake.
3: The score is by Christopher Hatfield. The logo is by Dylan Farr. If you're enjoying Arden, or even if you're not, and want to drive us from the face of the internet, there are two ways you can do that. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you found it. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, etc., etc. You can also look for us on Patreon, and you can toss us a couple of bucks there. That will get you access to special, exclusive episodes, other prizes, and all sorts of fun things. Tweeted us, ArdenPod, on Twitter. Our website is ardenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. You can come and talk to us there if you really want to. As always, our costume design was by Michelle Agresti. Come back next week for more adventures in Arden. Thank you. Good night.
0: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
4: It begins, as terrible things often do, with a knife. People of Herta, chosen children of the knife, a lost soul has come to us. I'm not sure if I can do this. It's always better if you just do it quick. You came to St Kilda to escape your past, but the past isn't so easy to outrun.
5: You always say you're changing, but underneath you're just the same. She was a child, Lockie. You liar!
4: Did you really believe this community would accept you? I think you're meant to be here. A little bird told me that you're a liar.
5: All of this, it comes with a cost, Lockie.
4: Did you really believe? you could find redemption
5: the
2: time for excuses is over
4: the secret of st kilda available wherever you get your podcasts listen to season one now and remember there is no
3: change without sacrifice